What would life look like if our good intentions were inspired enough, empowered enough, and challenged enough so that all those dreams became real, tangible good in the world? On Practice Good Podcast, you will find authentic stories, challenging conversations, and real responses that will inspire, empower, and challenge your social impact journey. But this isn't all. Good business and good programs and good social enterprise are only as good as the health of their leader. And on this podcast, we will pay special attention, not only to the good that we give to the world, but to the good that we live within ourselves, our soul care. Welcome to Practice Good, a podcast for change makers. I'm your host, Shiloh Kashima, practitioner of good, pastor, and mom of two spicy Nigerian littles. Get ready as we turn your good intentions into positive change. Today, we're jumping in with something super exciting. So if you did not have a chance to join us on the Changemaker Master Series at the end of December, you are in luck. We are bringing back our special guest, Scott Miller. He is the author of Management Mess to Leadership Success. He is a VP of Thought Leadership at Franklin Covey, and he is an Amazon best-selling author. He also has several more books coming out about branding and all kinds of really, really cool stuff. I had such a fun time interviewing him, and I cannot wait to get you guys into the backstage pass VIP. Here we go. Let's jump right into it. Tell me a little bit about your book and um, what kind of led to your book and why you wrote it. I'm so excited for everybody to know. Sure. So I've been privileged to write several books. I co-authored a book called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. It debuted in the Wall Street Journalist. Uh, my first book was the one that you and I showed was Management Mess to Leadership Success. It actually did so well the first year that the publisher signed me to 10 books in the Mess to Success series. Oh, so awesome. I'm actually launching in May Marketing Mess to Brand Success. Ooh, and then after it. that, Job Mess to Career Success, Communication, Sales, Parenting Mess to launch a whole variety of them. But the first book was really a culmination of my 30 years in leadership. You know, I work for the world's premier leadership development firm, Franklin Covey, been a leader of people most of my career. And I started to realize there's a lot of leadership books out there, Shiloh, but a lot of them aren't relatable. They're not real. They're not raw. They don't show kind of the underbelly of how hard leading people can really be. So I decided to organize 30 challenges that every leader faces based on Franklin Covey's 40 years in business. And I basically wrote a horror story about how I had basically screwed up all of them. There's a couple of successes in there. But generally, I wanted people to learn from all of my messes because I believe fundamentally when you as a leader own your mess, you make it safe for everyone to own theirs. We learn more from our messes than we do our successes. That's so good. I was actually, that was going to be my next question, was asking you why you chose to talk about yeah. your mistakes. Um, and I mean, I feel like you're you're probably a little bit hard on yourself. <laughs> but I, I mean, I well, will Catholic. say- of course, I'm hard on myself. <laughs> you, I mean, right. We should be as leaders. Um, but it changed my life hearing the real raw truth of it. Because if you just hear all the good stuff, you know, especially as when you're younger and you're aspiring to be in higher forms of leadership, it's it's kind of a little discouraging when you go, man, I've got a lot to work on. Were you thinking along those lines, like as you're making these mistakes, one day I'm going to use that for a book? Or were you just kind of, you know what, let me pull from all the mistakes I've made and really figure out how I could learn from those? 
You know, I wrote the book when I was 49. I'm 52 now. So I wrote the book about three years ago. It launched about a year and a half ago. But no, what really happened was I came to really understand and embrace that vulnerability is a leadership competency. Mm. Just like reading a PL, just like being able to speak, just like being able to give feedback, vulnerability is a leadership competency. And when you are willing to exercise the confidence, the humility, to talk about your mistakes, they can be great teaching moments for people around you. Mm. So I, I didn't decide to document all of my messes throughout life. I decided <laughs> about three years ago, you know, I'm going to share them. Yeah. Not, not in, a, in a raw, you know, vomiting kind of way, but to wrap them around leadership principles that are actually challenges for everybody in the hopes that, you know, I can teach you don't say this, say that. Don't think this, think that. Don't do that. Think this way instead do this instead because then you can avoid a lot of the same messes that I have so my whole future career now is dedicated to being as vulnerable as possible in every area of my life as a parent as a spouse as a neighbor as a friend as a coach as a leader as a son in the hopes that people can learn from a lot of my successes and my messes and by by the access that I have to people you know I'm privileged to host the world's largest subscribe to leadership podcast globally goes to 7 million weekly it's called on wow. leadership with scott miller and i host a radio program on iHeartRadio. and through these interviews i've learned a lot about what not to do about what to do so my mission my legacy now is to hopefully give back and hopefully make a lot more mistakes so the rest of us <laughs> the rest of us can learn <laughs> well, that's guaranteed <laughs> i'm just teasing i'm just teasing there's a couple of them that are so powerful to me and i know we're talking to change leaders today people who are advocating for change in the world people who are creating businesses that change the world people who are leading nonprofits that change the world and can i pull out a couple of the ones that Wait. really touched Wait. me as a change leader and just ask you to kind of expound on those a little yeah. bit all right, so check your paradigms, okay? I love this one because it's all about, you know, we have this idea of people or we bring people in as interns or whatever and we keep them in this box forever, right? And we don't give them this opportunity to expand not only themselves developmentally, but in our minds, like that they, you know, if they were to go get a job somewhere else, they would actually get a job that was far above where I put them. <laughs> right? Talk to me a little bit about how you came to learn this lesson and maybe how it can be applicable to change makers as they're trying to lead change in their organizations and in the world. It's a great question. Dr. Stephen R. Covey, who is the co-founder of the Franklin Covey Company, where I've worked for 25 years, wrote a book, as you know, called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. 40 million copies, 30 years. Phenomenal book. He popularized this idea of a paradigm shift. He didn't invent it, he popularized it. Right? We, all, we all have deeply entrenched mindsets, belief systems, metaphorical yeah. glasses through which we see everything and everyone, including ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think as a leader, one of your most critical jobs is to realize that as a leader, your mindset needs to be achieving results with and through other people. Achieving results with and through other people. Mm. And when you come to really understand that, you learn so much. You learn to slow down, be more patient, create mm. capability, create capacity in others. Stop being so urgent. Stop mm. rushing in and saving the day. Stop trying to do it all yourself. And this idea of you know, checking your mindset, your belief systems, your paradigm is especially valuable for leaders because like you mentioned in the book, I share a story about, you know, 
how I tend to take a snapshot of people and I hold them there for 10, 15 years and they, they don't grow. My gosh, imagine if my leaders had done the same for me. I'd never be on your podcast. I wouldn't be on stage writing books, right. right? I'd still be where I started, driving a bakery van 40 years ago. Yeah. Popping floors and mowing lawns. So I think it's really vital that as a leader, we ask ourselves, go through the names of the people who work with you, who work for you in your minds. Yeah. What is the paradigm you hold of them? Are they lazy? Are mm. they passionate? Mm. Are they serious? Do they always joke? Are they hardworking? Are they capable? Are they more capable than you're giving them credit to be? Can they behave their way to a new mindset in your mind? Will you even allow them to earn a new mindset? I think if you're willing to recognize that your mindsets are deeply entrenched, they're deeply inculcated in you, often since birth, you see Muslims this way, you see people with you know, same-sex attraction this way. You see Republicans this way. You see project managers this way. People in PR are that way. These are, these are unconscious biases that form paradigms that oftentimes people can't win. Yeah. And so you have to recognize that you may have an inaccurate, incomplete, wrong paradigm mm. about someone in your life and maybe give them a chance to earn their way to a new paradigm. That is so good. I feel like especially right now with the way our country is the way it is, um, I was just listening to someone else in their workshop the other day and they were just talking about how giving someone the opportunity to actually share their story and rather than just like summing them up in a box of whatever we think they voted, whatever they think we, we think they did and just, you know, making everything so polarized, like the ability to actually sit and have vulnerable, intimate conversations with people that we think we're going to disagree with and maybe find some common ground somewhere. But that's really powerful. And host a podcast. This is great. <laughs> good insight. It's very true. It yeah. takes, you know what? It doesn't just take patience. It takes empathy. Yeah. It takes love, right? It's like, you know, I really like this person or I want to like this person. I need to check my agenda. I need to check my motive, my frame of reference, my mindset and understand what's their journey been. Why do they believe this? Yeah, that's so good, especially for everyone who's listening as change leaders. I think we feel like we have a cause. You know, we have a vision that's bigger than ourselves. We're living for something that we want to live, eat, breathe, and die on that bed. And then at the same time, we're struggling with how do we you know, enroll people in this idea of a new world if we're constantly minimizing them to be whatever our paradigm is. I mean, we simply can't because we shut down as soon as we put them in that box. So I think this is so powerful. I want to listen to you. Stop asking me questions and keep talking. This is actually fascinating. <laughs> oh, we should do this again. No, this is, I, I'm serious. Like, this is so good. I, I feel like I'm watching people who are advocates and I'm watching people who are change makers and I'm like, your message is good and right, but the way we're doing it is not building friendships and enrolling people in a new future. The way we're doing it is just putting up walls and creating more divisiveness, you know? And okay, I'm just going to go off right now. So, um, <laughs> I, well, it's uh, is it getting tougher, right? I mean, look at the election, right? I mean, 70 million people voted for the current president. What is it? 76 million voted for the, um, you know, the president to uh, elect and such, and it's polarized the nation and people are more entrenched than others than ever. 
Absolutely. And in our quest for making the world a better place, a lot of times we take the very tools that our oppressors or the people that we think are, we're against are using, and we use those too. We judge, we belittle, we think, let me protect me, myself, my family, and our we gets smaller, you know? And then our influence gets less, and our ability to attract people to this new world and this great idea of how we live together as one people, as humanity, becomes less. Um, available to the world, I think. But I love what you're saying. It's about love. It's it's really about generosity, allowing people to um, the space to show us something different than our imagination can tell us. So uh, I love that paradigm shift. Okay. I'm going to pull another one on you right from your book. Okay. Are you ready for this? Ready. Bring it on. Think abundantly. So think abundantly. I mean, this idea of I have lived most of my life in this idea of scarcity. I came from a home where we were rather poor. I did a lot of mission trips to Africa. Like everything was about scarcity. And the idea of opening up your mindset to this world of abundance and the ability to give and live in abundance, it was such a profound idea to me. How did you come about this? And like, how has it changed your leadership ability? Well, again, I'll give credit to Dr. Covey on this one, and that is, you know, he wrote a lot about this idea of having a scarce mindset or an abundance mindset, and it doesn't have to do so much with your generosity, right? It's not about how much money you put in the collection plate at the mosque or the church on Sundays or your time and your talent. It's a mindset. It's a belief system. Mm -hmm. Do you enter into your conversations, into your interactions, into your leadership roles with an abundance mindset? Is there enough? For everyone. And I wrote about a story in the book where there's a young gentleman named Jimmy who reports to me. And we went to lunch one day at the Cracker Barrel, right? I'm, you're from Florida. You know the Cracker Barrel. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love the Cracker Barrel. Mondays is baked chicken. Right? And who needs a therapist when you've got the Cracker Barrel, right? It's, it's a great way to get a distraction from work. We go to the Cracker Barrel. We order our lunch. We're having a one-on-one -on -one meeting. Jimmy reports to me. I'm the chief marketing officer. And Jimmy is a you know, mid-level manager, about maybe 12 years my junior. And the, the, the server takes our order. And then Jimmy looks at me and says, Scott, I'm tired of you taking credit for all of my projects. I'm like, welcome to the new generation. I'm like, I never would say that to my boss when I'm 50. Right. I'm C-suite. And he goes on and he, he shares all this evidence of why he believes I'm taking credit for his projects. So as much as I dis disagreed with him, the more mature Scott did not, you know, bite his head off or dispute it. I just listened. And I gathered the reasoning. And what I realized is, is he was irritated that because I was the chief marketing officer, whenever I would launch a new project or product or initiative at the company town hall or on a company-wide webcast or at the annual sales conference, obviously, because of my title, my stature, my charisma, my you know, access to company-wide email distribution, I would take credit for all the projects that he felt he deserved. Right. And as much as I didn't agree with the premise, I can understand why he felt that way. And I thought, you know, why am I doing that? Why don't I let Jimmy send the email out? Why don't I let Jimmy speak for five minutes on stage during my hour-long presentation? And I came to realize that, you know, I was really operating in a scarce mindset, Shiloh. I wasn't operating in an abundance mindset. That mm. I, I had to ask myself, how much more credit did I need? I, mean, I was the chief marketing officer, right? I, in a yeah. local company with a big budget. 50 people and, you know, latitude to do whatever I wanted to. I had to ask myself this question, and that is, you'll never have enough 
until you've defined how much is enough. Mm. And that covers every aspect of our lives. Yes. Attention, fame, credit, money, love, whatever it is. You'll never have enough until you've defined how much is enough. And I had not defined how much more credit or attention or fame I needed in the firm. And I did that that very evening after Cracker Barrel. I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a better job of allowing my people to shine out from under because I'm a fairly loud, strong-willed, fierce, ferocious person. I cast a pretty big shadow, you know, under my metaphorical wings. That's true. I do. It's hard to shine out from under me. And so I was more deliberate in having an abundant mindset when it came to sharing credit, sharing effort, and promoting people. I wasn't a scarce person. I just wasn't deliberately thinking, Mm. be more abundant. What could abundant look like to Jimmy? What does abundant look like to Travis and to Deb and to Annie? Because abundance may look different to each of them. Mm. I love that. And even as you talk, I'm feeling like for me, it's time. I'm constantly in this battle with time. I've got too much and my plate is this big and it gets this big and things are falling and I just have so much. And I love that. You have to define what is enough. And especially with people, with fame, with money, with time, with all those things. So that is so good and so helpful. All right. I got another one for you. You ready? I had no idea where you're going. Okay. I'm excited. (laughs) Carry your own weather. Ah, this one was so good. And I'm not going to share the story you shared, but I loved it because my husband's from Africa. And so the story was all about Africa and like this. Anyways, I'm not going to share it. I'll let you do that. But um, carry your own weather is huge for me because I notice that I tend to allow my situation to kind of dictate my momentum for the day. And that's really crazy. That's like everything has a leash on me and it can just control me whenever it wants. And I'm really, I was listening to your book and uh, reading your book and going, oh my gosh, I have to carry that weather. You know, like I have to bring my own weather with me. And I love that. So what made you come to that conclusion? Carry your own weather. Tell everybody about it. I'm so excited. (laughs) I won't share the story in the book. People can buy the book if they want to hear that story and like 29 other riotous stories that will make you cry. Like you'll stop the book. You'll put the book down and say, how is he not fired? (laughs) Right. Like how is he working there still? (laughs) How is he working there still? Um, Because I think fundamentally I'm a pretty, um, pretty, pretty fine person. I hope that's true. I think so. This idea of carry your own weather is really about proactive people choose their responses based on their own values, Mm. not based on outside circumstances or other people's moods. Mm. Now, we're all human. We all react, right? We understand, you know, this idea really was invented, not invented, but made popular by Viktor Frankl in his book, Mm. Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. He talked about, you know, one of the most basic human freedoms is choice, that we can choose how we react in any and every situation, that in all of our lives, multiple times daily, we are hit with stimulus, whatever it is, right? Road rage, someone cutting us off, someone late on a project, someone um, breaking a promise, whatever it is, that's the, that's the stimulus coming at us. And then there's, of course, our response. And then in between these two is the space, which is basically how we choose our response. Mm. And we can choose very carefully how we want to show up, what we want to look like, what we want to sound like. And so I'm a very reactive person. I mean, you know, I, I can, I don't have a big temper, 
but I have a quick temper. There's a difference. Mm. Quick temper, not a big temper, right? right? I don't scream at anybody or lose my cool, but I'm very quick to respond and I usually regret it. Yeah. And as I have become more aware of the principle and more mature, I realize I want to ask myself, how do I want to show up in this conversation? Mm. Is what I'm going to say and do right now what I wished I would have said and done right now tomorrow? Ooh, that's good. And that sometimes the instant gratification that comes from reacting fiercely in a situation mm-hmm. isn't worth it longer term, especially in relationships. You know, there's a phrase that I love to debunk, and that is that people are an organization's most valuable asset. It's not true. It's total BS. Mm-hmm. People are not a company's most valuable asset. Shiloh, it's the relationships between those people mm. that are what is your competitive advantage because you can steal and copy every product, every invention, every trademark, every patent, every go-to-market strategy, every supply chain, everything can and is and will be stolen and copied. What cannot be copied is your company's culture, Mm. is your organization, your team's culture, right? How the vast majority of people behave the vast majority of time. Mm. And if you believe that relationships are your organizations, your teams, your not-for-profits, whatever your most valuable asset, then you choose your responses very carefully. You carry your own weather and you don't allow someone else to hijack your weather. You choose mm. your response based on your reputation, yeah. personal values, mm-hmm. and how you want to show up. You have to be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. So metaphorically, it's like carrying an umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. As a leader, you have to model all the behavior you want to see and those around you, mm-hmm. which is why not everyone should be a leader of people. I'm kind of unpopular in the leadership space. I do not believe everyone should be a leader of people. That's good. Just like not everyone should be a commercial airline pilot or an <laughs> anesthesiologist, right? Leadership of people is not for everyone. But if you are going to be a leader of people, these 30 challenges will help you be a better leader. For sure. That's so good. That's so good. So I'm going to ask you specifically so um, about change leaders because I feel like, again, we are yeah. people who have something in common. Uh, and that is that we all take care of other people and other things. So whether we're building a business and I'm sure this is with you as well, it's like, go, go, go all the time. Like I've got 10, 15 tasks always in line. I've got 15 people I got to care for. I've got, and it's really hard to slow down and breathe and say, how do I take care of this leader right here? Because I can create all this good in the world, but at the end of the day, if this leader isn't whole and healthy and doing well, that change doesn't mean much. So on your journey of leadership, have you run into this idea of like, how do you care for yourself? How do you balance like all the stuff, all the people, all the things that need to happen and taking care of the leader that runs all of it? I feel like you've been watching me all day today. (laughs) And not in a good way, right? What I've done today is insane for, you know, uh, my credibility answering this question. Here's what I, I've learned a couple of things. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine is Jillian Michaels. You know her as, you know, the famous. Um, I love her. Yeah, nutritionist and yeah. Not, not, not formally, but, you know, exercise expert. And yeah. I was interviewing Jillian on the, on the iHeartRadio program that I've hosted. And she said, you know, it's true you can have it all, but not at the same time. Mm. And that could be a cliche, but there's truth in that, right? I've learned in my life, there are seasons. Mm. And in your life, you have seasons of balance. You have seasons of imbalance. I don't really know that I buy into this life-work balance. I think there are seasons. Like like right now, I have a book manuscript due to HarperCollins. It's due in 
six and a half days. I have 14 chapters left to write. I've written 16 chapters. I have 14 left. And I'm writing three a day right now. Three a wow. day, seven days. It wow. is an insane season of imbalance for me. Sure. And then the day that's due, next Sunday, I'm going to go into five days of taping some coaching modules for my website. That's going to go five days, 10 hours a day, five days. And then I'm going to stop for about three weeks. Wow. I'm not going to do anything of significant professional contribution. I have an ink article that I write each week, a column and a blog and this podcast, but I'm going to really pull back for three solid weeks. Now I'm afforded the luxury of doing that because of the way I can manage my career. But I believe in this, this, your highs sometimes and your lows sometimes. And I believe that it's okay to be out of balance as long as it's for a season, Mm. right? Not your whole life, not the whole year. I've also come to realize Shiloh that your job is your career. Your, your job is not your life. Mm. And that especially for single people whose identity is you know, wrapped up in their job, which I was, by the way, I was single until I was 41. I'm 52 now. Oh, so wow. for you know, most of my life, my identity was my job, was my career. That's all I could talk about. Mm-hmm. I was at a dinner party. I would work in how much money I made. I would work in what my title was because that was my identity. Sure. So for single people, I think it's more difficult to have balance because that's where they go for validation. Yeah. So if you are single, make sure you're living a multidimensional life and you remember that, although this adage is a cliche, nobody wished they'd spent more time at work or at the office on their deathbed. And you should be really thoughtful around what is your legacy and what role does your profession, does your career play in your whole life? Your life is not your yeah, that's so good. It reminds me of this study I read, and I don't even remember the name of the study, but it was done in Germany about people and the correlation between the age that they got married, the age that they had their first child, and whether they were educated or not. And the higher levels of education, the later they got married, um, the usually both parents would experience PTSD and, um, or not, I'm butchering that, not postpartum husband and wife would have postpartum and they would be less likely to have more than one child. And I say that because my husband and I, we got married when I was 30 and he was 34 and we were both leaders. He's a, was a pastor. I was a pastor. Like we both had our master's degrees and we wanted like four kids and we were going to do the whole thing. We're going to travel the world. We're going to conquer the world. We're going to save the world. You know, everything, every young single person thinks. And I remember the biggest shock coming into marriage, like, and having children is like, whoa, the pace that I'm running is unsustainable if I want to have relationships. And I still struggle with that. I mean, I'm struggling with that now here in South Carolina, like, I'm like, take the kids for 30 minutes while I do this podcast. And then I'm like, how do I get back to, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, you know, as a leader. So that is so helpful. Can I share one thought with you? Yes. One of, the, one, of the, one of my favorite interviews on the Franklin Covey podcast was a woman by the name of Tiffany Schlein, S-H-A-L-I-N. And she's, mm-hmm. she's Jewish, a cultural Jew, not a religious Jew. Okay. Um, but she wrote a book called 24-6. 24-6. Basically, it was the premise of the exercising the Jewish tradition of Shabbat mm. in your life with technology. Of course, sh- Shabbat is, I think, Hebrew for the Sabbath. Uh-huh. And she basically talks in this book. She's actually quite a famous um, technologist. She invented the Webby Awards. 
and she's written a bunch of books and produced movies. And she said in her family, she has a tech Shabbat every Saturday, that every Friday night, they turn off their phones, off their computers, all their technology for 24 hours. Now, her husband is a quite famous producer. She's a famous producer. She has two girls in high school. They're highly technically connected in LA. LA. But they had this tech, T-E-C-H, a tech Shabbat, every Saturday from like five, no, every Friday night from 5 p.m. to Saturday night at 5 p.m. No technology. If they need directions to the Saturday soccer game, they write them down at four o'clock and turn off their phones. I love it. And they say it brings such balance to their life for 24 hours a day. And it's a book I highly recommend, 24-6 by Tiffany Schlain. And you can Google Scott Miller and find the interview on the podcast. It was very insightful to me on how to bring weekly balance back into my life. Oh, I love that. I think I'm, I'm not great at it, but it, you know, try it some week. You got to prepare for it. Yes. Know, for me, it probably would be better on a Saturday night to a Sunday night because you know we have church and tennis and yep. family on Sundays, and there's less need for mobile phones and technology. But I like the idea of checking out one day a week. I think it probably has all kinds of positive unintended consequences around life balance and connecting to your purpose and making your family and your relationships center in your life. I love it. I think I'm going to bring that up to my husband right after this. We definitely try to do something similar, but we're not great at it. So I think I'm going to check out that podcast and see if yeah, we can use it. If you Google on leadership with Scott Miller and put in Tiffany, I think it's T-I-F-F-A-N-I. Okay. Shalane. H-A-L-I-N. For all your guests and listeners and viewers, I encourage you. I really enjoyed the book. You know, as a Catholic, it was hard to identify with some of her cultural traditions, sure. but I could appropriate them over and she invited me to. And I learned a lot about some of the richness of the, um, the Jewish culture that has impacted her and her family so richly. That's so awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out. So I have one more question for you. And this is like, I'm really excited about this because I I'm all about- question. What's that? Just like stump the chump. <laughs> right? Like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? No. Um, I am just excited because I'm a reader and I love like resources and stuff. And I love to find out what types of resources or books the people that I admire and follow are reading. So what is like right now, if you could think of off the top of your head, one resource that um, you love or are reading now, what would that be? Well, my favorite leadership book is certainly a book I'd recommend. It's called Multipliers. Multipliers. It's by a woman named Liz Wiseman. She's the former VP of learning at the Oracle Corporation. And she wrote, I think, a masterful book, which is based on the premise that as leaders, our job is not to be the smartest people in the room. Our job is not to be the genius, but rather the genius maker. Mm. And she identifies in her book, Nine Accidental Diminishing Tendencies. Mm. that we all find ourselves in. You aren't either a multiplier or you're a diminisher, but we all find ourselves being the idea fountain, um, the pace setter, the optimist, the strategist, the perfectionist. She has nine accidental diminishing tendencies. And the more self-aware you are of when you're in those diminishing roles, the more you can snap out of them and mm. multiply talent by being the genius maker of others. I highly recommend that book, Multipliers. I'm going to, I'm going to go right and get it right after this. That's awesome. That's so great. Well, thank you, Scott Miller for your time. It has been a blessing and a privilege. Thank you. 
man, the one thing that I absolutely love about him, hands down, is his authenticity. I mean, authenticity in a leader is priceless. Humility also. If you pick up his book or any of his books or listen to his podcast or all the things he's doing on LinkedIn, you will know that this man learns from his mistakes and he takes his mistakes and he uses them to help other people, support other people in their leadership journey. And as change makers, we get every opportunity to do that too. The temptation when we are change leaders is for us to point out all the flaws in the world, right? Without saying, hey, me too. I too have these things inside of me. I see them because they're in my own life too. And that is the most powerful form of leadership and change making. So I encourage you guys today, take it from his example and use your moments where you've learned from your own what would you call the mishaps, mistakes, your own moments of true, raw vulnerability and take those into the world and speak out of those and through those rather than pointing fingers because we can eventually just use anger to yell at everybody, right? But the reality is we see these things in the world because they're rooted in us and we are the source of everything we're seeing in our world. We are part of humanity and it is through our actions, it is through what we've done as humans that we are where we are today. So let's walk in humility. Let's stand up as leaders who can point out and say, I too understand because I've been there and I am there. And so we get to do this together. So how encouraging and cool, right? Go out and get some of his books. Be encouraged. Listen to it again. Tell your friends. Definitely review us on iTunes. Definitely head to our Facebook group, Practice Good. Make sure to pick up your free Ultimate Change Makers resource list at practicegoodwithshiloh.com. If you have any questions, if you want to connect, connect with me at hello at practicegoodwithshiloh.com. I cannot wait to see you guys next week. I love you. Here we go. Let's change the world.